You're listening to the Unstoppable Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lee. Benton, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure's all mine, man. <laughs> so when people ask you, what do you do? How do you answer that? <laughs> I usually say, have you seen the squatty potty pooping unicorn? <laughs> And I say, yeah, that, that's what I do. I make obnoxious videos like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I guess um, if you were to say you had a superpower, what do you think that superpower is for you? Oh, that's a great question. So it, it, it's kind of interesting how some people end up as specialists and other people kind of remain as generalists. Uh, you know, kind of the jack of all trades type, I would definitely describe myself more in that second camp of, of the generalists, the, the jack of all trades. And, and so if I had to identify one superpower, it's that because I'm a jack of all trades, I can kind of do whatever is needed or, or, or do whatever it takes to kind of build something new, get something off the off the ground, solve problems, and um, and and you know come to solutions. Uh, but you know, as as the business matures, I have to hire lots of specialists to you know to do particular things better than I ever would. So, um, in some ways, that's kind of a cop out answer because being a generalist that's kind of like saying I don't have any superpowers. I just dabble in lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if I had to describe what I'm best at, it's kind of the, the versatility that, that I bring to the table. That's probably one of my strengths. That's uh, really awesome. I'm sure, um, you know, a lot of generalists like um, Steve Jobs, for instance, you know, jack of all trades and kind of um, leak down and understand every aspect of the business. So that's good. That's right. Um, yeah. So uh, what kind of impact have you seen with your videos that you guys made? Oh, wow. It's, uh, it, you know, many of them are pretty big game changers, uh, you know, for, for our client companies, you know, starting back with, uh, with Poopery, I think, you know, the, the campaign we made for them took them from about a $7 million per year company um, to, you know, the very next year, I think they did, I think it was somewhere in the 20 range. And then a year after that, I wow. think they might've hit 30 and that's amazing you know squatty potty was kind of similar type growth i think they jumped from four up to 20 then then to 30 um let's see purple mattresses we well we actually helped launch them so they went from zero to over 100 million um wow i think i think it took 14 or 18 months or something Mm -hmm. to kind of hit that 100 million dollar per year mark um Mm. and then there's you know several others you know chat books um, you know, we it, essentially with a single campaign, you know, we were able to double their, help them double their, their company. Um, you know, fiber fix, uh, took a couple of years, but they grew and got acquired by, uh, by JB Weld. Um, while Lumi was $1.5 million in 2018. And then in 2019, I think they'll finish the year at like 35 million. Um, that's, wow. that's Lumi deodorants, one of our more recent ones. So. Um, mm. the, the impacts for, for these companies are, are, are pretty massive. It's, it's fun to be a part of it. And that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. To hear that. 
I mean, how do you guys like differentiate yourself from other competitors? Because I mean, you guys aren't like the first people to create these videos, right? Well, what's made us different is that the world of advertising has always been broken into two very distinct camps, right? On one side, you have your traditional branders making ads like you see for Nike and Coca-Cola and Apple. And, you know, there's, there are these really beautiful feel good ads. Sometimes they make you laugh. Sometimes they have story behind them, but they're always intended to, you know, kind of build this brand, build the, the, the image, build the trust. And then on the other side of the advertising world, you have your direct response marketers, you know, more infomercial style of, you know, click now to buy, you know, to hurry while supplies last, call this 1-800 number, you know, whatever those are. And those two camps historically have kind of hated each other because, you know, in the direct mm. response world, they mm. don't like traditional branding because it's like, oh, that stuff's so fluffy. You can't measure it. You don't have good attribution. Um, you know, attribution is just being able to, to say, I spent this dollar and I got $2 in return and I know it, you know? Um, right. mm-hmm. and, um, and so the direct response guys are really critical of traditional branders, but then on the other side, you know, traditional brand guys look at the, you know, the direct response world and they're just grossed out by it. They're like, Oh, so, you know, high pressure, so pushy. So tactless, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it doesn't build a long-term brand. Why would anyone do that? You know, that type of thing. And, and so our specialty that we brought to the table is we said, Hey, you know, instead of, you know, having these camps hate each other, why don't we just take the best of both worlds? And why don't we, we go create ads that do both. They, they can drive sales. Um, you can get, um, you can get a direct ROI on the ad dollars that, that you spend. Um, you know, like the direct response world really loves and appreciates. But then at the same time, you can build a brand, you can make it memorable, you can make it relatable, you can make it funny. Um, You know, you you can make it um, uh, pull at the heartstrings, you know, whatever is needed to, to really, you know, take that message and make it memorable for, for your clients and for your customers, so that they remember who you are, and, and that they know you, they love you, they, they trust you. And, and so, you know, that, that's how we've differentiated ourselves because quite frankly, I'm not aware of, you know, anyone else who has, you know, who's done that at least on a consistent repeatable basis. Um, and, mm. and it's kind of a, a form mm-hmm. of advertising that, uh, you know, that we largely pioneered starting all the way back, you know, um, with Aura Brush and then with, with Poopery and Squatty Potty and, and, and the list goes on. Oh, that's awesome. So Benton, um, what about a little bit of your background? Like what inspired you to start this journey? <laughs> my, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a generalist, I'm a jack of all trades. And so my career kind of reflects that I've had a, I've had a pretty winding path to get to where I'm at. I, yeah. um, okay. you know, growing up, I was, a, uh, I, I was, a just a car nerd, you know, a, I ate, slept, drank cars, you know, the whole time I was a teenager. Um, and so I got really good at at fixing and working on cars. And so I, I started my career out as an automotive technician. Mm. Um, and, um, and then I went back to school and I got really passionate about economics and statistics and data analytics. And so I, 
I studied that and then I ended up as a statistician at the Census Bureau out in Washington, D.C., um, which then kind of opened up some doors and I ended up working in the intelligence community out there in, in D.C. Wow. As, a, mm-hmm. as a data analyst. And I did that for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, and then when my partners, um, the, the Harmon brothers, you know, Jeff, Neil, and Daniel Harmon, they were leaving Aura Brush and and they were they were going to to do the poopery campaign they needed a data guy uh because you know they 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 have the creative chops but creativity right. without data mm-hmm. ends up just kind of being like a best guess practice you know mm. creatives just look at it and say hey let's take our best guess and let's make it like this <laughs> and yeah. and and that's not a recipe for long term success you know sometimes you get lucky and that works but usually you need to combine creativity with, um, you know, with data analytics so that you can follow the data, you can follow the market, you can understand what people are reacting to, what people are responding to. And ultimately, you can understand what works. And so when you combine those two worlds, you end up with, you know, you end up being able to create marketing that can consistently work and you give yourself a much, much you know, higher chance of success. And so that's why I got to join the team. So, uh, you know, the, mm, the four mm-hmm. of us, we, we launched the poopery campaign and then that mm-hmm. kind of started, you know, started a snowball rolling and here we are today. Wow. That's pretty awesome story, man. <laughs> so the aura brush, when they were doing that campaign, how did that perform? Oh, it, that, that was amazing. That was kind of what, um, that that's probably what ushered in the the era of online video advertising. Prior to that, um, YouTube had just barely been purchased by Google, and and of course to that point, YouTube was just a video sharing platform. You know, everyone's putting up like their funny cat videos and stuff, but there was no advertising or no business development happening on on YouTube. And, um, and so my, my partner, Jeff Harmon, um, he created this, this ad for, for Aura Brush. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like two and a half minutes long. And, um, and at the time, everyone who he showed it to, myself included, looked at that ad and we're like, too long. It's not going to work. You've got to, you know, 30 seconds. That's all you can hold people's attention right. for. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he, he ignored all of us and he was just like, no, it takes two and a half minutes to properly explain and convince you that this product is, is a solution to, you know, to the bad breath problem and convince you to buy it. You know, you've, I've got to overcome your concerns. I've got to build credibility, all of that stuff. And so he knew he's like, no, I need the full two and a half minutes. And so um, he worked actually with, um, uh, let me see if I can remember his title correctly. I think he was the VP of product at, um, at YouTube. His name is Shashir. Um, anyways, he worked with, with Shashir to say, hey, I need this longer format ad. Can you make ads on YouTube skippable? And, and mm-hmm. so uh, Shashir, you know, VP of products. So he had the power to go, uh, to go pull that off and make it happen. And so (laughs) now when you see a, when you pull up YouTube and an, and an ad pre rolls in front of it, and then you can hit that skip button. That is a, that's a result of, 
you know, wow. Aura Brush and, and Jeff Harmon saying, I need a longer ad. <laughs> and in my opinion, it ended up being one of the best inno innovations in advertising because now what it does, it puts the power back in the viewer's hands. Um, so now instead of like when you're watching a football game and you're forced to sit through the commercial break, you know, every once in a while you see a good commercial, but you also get force fed a bunch of really crappy ones that you're like, Oh, this is a waste of right. my time. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and now with skippable ads, it, it makes it so that, Hey, you've got five seconds to capture my attention. And if you don't capture it in those five seconds, I'm hitting the skip button and I'm, I'm moving on. And so it forces us, you know, those of us who are creating ads to, to be really respectful of what the viewer wants and what the, what the viewer um, enjoys consuming. And so now we have to make ads that people actually want to watch. And that's very different mm. from, you know, kind of the historical norm of like, oh, just make an ad that, you know, mm -hmm. that we're going to force feed it to people and, uh, it doesn't matter if they like it or not, as long as it drives sales, you know, that's kind of the old, the old mentality. Um, mm, so yeah, okay. back to your question of how did that perform? Mm -hmm. um, wow. It, it took a tiny little startup or a brush, uh, you know, which is this tongue cleaner that gets rid of bad breath and launched it um, just online, started driving, um, you know, well, I think there was at least a couple million dollars of online sales pretty quick. And then online or sorry, the offline retailers started taking note and they ended That's up crazy. getting into Walmart and CVS mm -hmm. and I want to say Walgreens and, mm. um, and eventually uh, Dentech ended up acquiring, uh, acquiring Aura Brush. So it was, uh, you know, once again, it was uh, kind of, it was one, it was a big success. And then two, it was, um, kind of a pioneer. I remember at the time when, when Aura Brush was huge on, um, on YouTube, they were the third largest brand on YouTube in terms of number of subscribers. And I think Old Spice, um, it was Old Spice and Pepsi, I think were the only two that were ahead of them. And that was because Old Spice had just had that, you know, the man your man can smell like you know, smash right. success. And so yeah. they, they went big. And then mm -hmm. I can't remember what, what Pepsi had going on at, at that time that, that went big. Um, but those were the only two brands in the world that had a bigger presence than Aura Brush at that time. Of course, that's changed since then, right? But, um, but for its time, it was pretty awesome. I see. So you entered and use your data background to contribute to, to the videos, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you, how exactly do you get deeply involved uh, into your customer's world? Like how do you understand your thoughts, um, their feelings, and, and then put that onto video? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. So we always start every one of our campaigns with what we call a brain dump um, from, from our clients. And that's where, that's where we go in and we try to understand our clients at a level so deep that their DNA becomes our DNA. Wow. Yeah. And, and okay. so the process usually takes us about a month because we dive really, really deep. We, um, we, we interview the founders and understand where they came from, who they are, what makes them tick, what, what their vision is. We, we identify key people in the, in the company who, who we interview and we, we, 
understand them and ask them lots of questions. We interview customers. We, we go through all of their, their data analytics um, so that we understand what works, what doesn't work, what is the messaging that, that resonates. We, we read customer reviews. Um, we, we use the products our, ourselves and we share those products with friends and family to, you know, to kind of collect feedback and get, get deeper understanding. And, and so that's, that's kind of like the absorption part where we're just really trying to dive deep and understand, uh, wow. you know, the, the product or the service or whatever it is yeah. we're working in. Mm-hmm. But then when we start the creative process, we, we, use a researcher's mentality as we go through the, the creative process. So for instance, um, when, you know, when, when we write a script for a video, we'll go around and read that script to, you know, a few dozen people, friends, family, neighbors, you know, who, whoever it is so that we can go identify, okay, what's working, what's not working. Um, where are their problems in this script? Sometimes we even create what we call, if, if we're going for a humorous ad, we'll create with that script a laugh graph. And, and what mm-hmm. that is, we'll go, as we're reading it to people, we'll video their reactions. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go mm-hmm. back through that video and we'll, wow. um, we'll, we'll mark <laughs> everywhere that, that somebody is having a, a positive reaction to the script, you know, whether it's a smile or a chuckle or a laugh or whatever, and we'll rank those all accordingly. But then we can graph it all out and we can see, okay, where are the potential problems with, with this script? Do we have dead spots in there? Um, or, or are those spots just like a more sentimental moment that, you know, of course people aren't going to be laughing at it. We can go through and analyze all of that so that then as we, as we, you know, go to the next step, which is, you know, pre-production and preparing everything to, to film, we can, we can, have a pretty high level of confidence that, you know, we're coming into it with the best script possible. But even then knowing that you rarely get it right on your first guess, we'll usually, you know, write and film, you know, three or four different intros and we'll Mm -hmm. usually write and film three or four different uh, calls to action. Mm -hmm. um, So that, Mm -hmm. so that even after we've filmed and we've edited, we can take those intros you know, we can release all the intros simultaneously and watch which one gets the best view through rate, you know, because that one tells us, hey, people are most likely uh, or, or people view through this intro at the highest rate, meaning that's the intro that, that resonates best with, with people. And sometimes the difference between a winning intro versus, um, uh, versus the losing intros can be really significant. Sometimes, it's, mm. you know, you can get a mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40% better view through rate. And, mm-hmm. and that one thing is, you know, the difference between a, a winning or a losing campaign. Um, and then, yeah. and then mm-hmm. that process gets repeated in so many other areas. We test titles, we test thumbnails, we test offers, we test calls to action. And, you know, that's all just in the video. And then once you get past the video and people are, are landing on a, on a landing page, then, you know, people are more familiar with landing page testing, but it's the same type of thing. You're testing headlines, images, um, you know, calls to action buttons, all sorts of things. And, and it's that testing process and that testing mentality that, that allows you to identify where the campaign is working and where the campaign needs help. 
Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's a really intense testing process. And is all this done online or are you uh, actually getting people in the door like physically to look at these videos and observe them? Oh, it, it's a combination of both. So, you know, early stage stuff actually all happens offline. You know, when we're just reading a script, we just go read it to friends and family and, and neighbors and stuff. And then you know, same thing when we get a rough cut of, uh, you, you know, when we get the rough cut edit done, um, you know, it's not time to go live yet with it. It's not time to show the client yet because, you know, it doesn't have all the polish on it. It doesn't have the, the sound effects in it and the graphics and, the, you know, all of that type of stuff. And so we'll just go show it to, uh, to friends and family and, and, and we'll get reactions that way. Um, so it, it's funny, my, you know, my data friends back in Washington, DC, if they were looking at our processes from like uh -huh. um, a rigorous scientific uh -huh. data perspective, they would roll over like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, they, they would be totally disgusted by the way we do it. But for us, it's not about like having this rigorous scientific approach. It's just mm -hmm. about testing gut assumptions and, um, and, and using these gut checks so that we can see if we're on the right track and then we adjust and we pivot accordingly. And then as soon as we have, you know, finished videos, that's when we can go live with them and test them on the internet. That's when we can test the different intros, test the different calls to action, that sort of thing. Are you an expert or course creator trying to monetize your online course? Well, use our one-page template to get more paying students to your online course without marketing overwhelm or sleazy sales tactics. You can download this for free at unstoppablebusiness.com. Now, back to the show. So, man, I have to ask, um, when you were working with clients, I mean, were they patient enough to go through this entire process with you? Um, you know, it, it's interesting because our process is slow and it's pretty, it's, it's a painstaking process. So, you know, our hero campaigns usually take about six months from, you know, from the wow. time we sign a contract with a client mm -hmm. to the time we're, you know, going going public with it because there's so much work and so much research that happens throughout that process and so usually our clients just get it like they've seen our track record they've seen our work and they understand yeah this process takes time this process is a lot of work but this process also maximizes you know our our chances of success um right. and and for mm -hmm. the occasional client who's like no i need it you know I need it in three months, not six months. And, and I don't want to pay for all that additional research and that type of stuff. Usually we're like, look, you know, we get it, but go somewhere else because, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. this process is what we've proven works and you're coming right. to us to help you drive results. So let us go through the process so we can get you those results. And, you know, usually they end up going, you know, somewhere else, go something, go do something cheap and fast and then find out it didn't work and it was a waste of money. And then they come back anyway. So, um, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's just part of the process. Hmm. Gotcha. So do you think that, uh, you know, people on a budget, um, you know, amateurs out there, entrepreneurs out there that are trying to create videos, right. Um, you have the Harmon university, right. Mm -hmm. Brothers university. Yep. Um, do you think they're able to produce a video like yours 
you know, it seems like there's a lot of budget involved. Yeah, that, that's a really great question. So to answer that, it's really important to kind of think about the, the lifespan of a, of a company, right? Every company starts out as a startup and as a startup, we're all cash strapped, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're just struggling to make put payroll, uh, keep the lights on, pay the office rent, et cetera, et cetera. That everyone goes through that. It's, it's, it's part of the process. And when you're at that stage of your business, the number one most important thing is to just get sales coming in the door. You, at that stage in your business, it's way less important to be like, oh, I've got to, I've got to build this beautiful brand that's right. going to be memorable and it's mm -hmm. going to be humorous and, and all of that type of stuff. And, um, and so we recognize that, you know, the clients who we've done these campaigns for, um, that, you know, we're able to kind of help them create the, these memorable brands that are seen by hundreds of millions of people. Those are, you know, those are companies that have kind of made it out of that startup stage and they already have a few million dollars of sales. And so they're able to make some mm. bigger investments into mm -hmm. creating these campaigns that aren't just about sales. They're also about sales plus creating a brand. And, and it's interesting because eventually those companies, if they continue to grow, they'll even get to a point where they can just make straight up branding campaigns that don't even worry about sales. Think about, you know, Nike and, and Apple and Coca-Cola. You'll never see a Nike ad that says, um, you know, hurry now, buy while supplies last, or um, mm. you won't even find a Nike ad that like talks about the features of their product. Instead, it's all about branding and lifestyle and creating this image of of celebrating athletics right that that's what nike is all about but mm -hmm. most you, you know you have to get your company to a certain size and and level of success before you can ever do that that type of advertising you know nike didn't start out that way nike started out with a bunch of salesmen going from shoe store to shoe store all over the country selling mm. shoes door to door right. mm -hmm. because that's that's what it takes to to get a company off, off the ground. So back to your original question, can a Harmon Brothers University student make something like we make? Um, the, the answer is they would never want to do that for a brand new startup company, right? You don't need to worry mm -hmm. about making these big, beautiful ads with all this humor and, and all these right. memorable moments and everything mm -hmm. when all you need is to just get sales coming in the door. And so that's why we start all of our Harmon Brothers University students in training them how to make ads that sell. That, that's like step number one. We, we always put everyone through what we call the 14-day script challenge, which is a deep dive into how to build the sales scripts that drive those sales. It's the exact same structure we use in our, in our bigger campaigns, but then we incorporate all the humor and the branding and stuff in, in there as well. But it always starts with this basis of you just need to be able to sell. If you can get those sales coming in the door, then you can start to scale it up. And, you know, eventually you scale it up to a few million dollars and then you're looking at it and saying, okay, now I have the budget to do the really fun stuff that, that I want to do. And then you can go do, you know, like the fiber fix ad campaign, right? Where we're throwing cars off of a cliff and, and doing right. all sorts <laughs> of fun, memorable things, uh, yeah. th things like that. So 
can a Harmon Brothers University student do ads like we do with the right amount of time and practice and repetitions under their belt and then with the right clients and the right budget? Um, yeah, it, it, it can be done. And that's our goal of Harmon Brothers University is training people how to do what we do. But it all starts with, with the sale. And so that, that's, mm -hmm. that's the beautiful thing of, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, just a brand new startup working out of, out of your garage, or if you, you know, have an office and five people or kind of wherever you're at in that range, just get those sales coming in the door. And that's what we build. You know, that that's what the 14 day script challenge is all about. It's taking our students through this process of doing the research that we do, doing the work that we do, following the structure and the process that we do to get a sales script that works and, and drives those sales. And then the next step is saying, okay, now I have this sales script. How do I turn this into a video? And in the beginning, that can be really cheap. You know, it can be just a founder talking into a cell phone if necessary. Um, right. As long mm -hmm. as you're, you have the proper sales structure in there to, mm -hmm. to be able to drive those sales, you'll be successful. That, that's all it comes down to. Mm. Okay. So Benton, what was the inspiration for you starting the university? Because you guys were doing so well with your videos already. So every month we get roughly somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 100 inbound, um, inbound inquiries or leads, whatever you want to call them, of mm -hmm. people asking us to, to make campaigns for them. And, and we just simply can't help that many, that many companies, that many people. And, and so, you know, we were turning away, you know, 98% of the people who were coming and asking for our help. And, and at the end of the day, we're looking at that and we're saying, there's got to be a way to help way more of these companies, even when right. we can't do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Can we give them the tools and the techniques to be able to go, uh, to go find success for themselves? You know, usually they just need some help and some guidance. And, um, and so we created Harmon Brothers University to that end so that we can, you know, like I said, we start out by training people on how to sell. And then later you start to layer on other elements. Like how do you add in humor? How do you add in branding? How do you make it memorable? Um, and, and uh, the, yeah, that's, right. that's the idea behind it. And it all starts with, with just that 14 day script challenge. How do you, how do you make it sell? Mm. Awesome. Benton, which one, uh, which campaign was your personal favorite, by the way? You know, I mentioned I was a car geek growing up. So uh -huh. I, I love working on cars. <laughs> I love getting my hands dirty. Yeah. So fiber fix was probably Ooh. my favorite because, okay. you know, if you haven't seen fiber fix, uh, well, one, go watch it. But the quick explanation is that, mm -hmm. you know, fiber fix is this repair tape. That's, that's a hundred times stronger than duct tape. And so we made these roll cages on these cars, which is kind of this metal exoskeleton that goes around the outside of a car. And instead of welding these cages together, we just taped them together. So in one instance, you have a car with this cage that's all just duct taped together. It's just held mm -hmm. together by duct tape. And, and we chuck it off of a cliff. And of course, you know, the duct tape just is not strong enough. It doesn't hold up. And so the, the roll cage just disintegrates and the car gets squashed. 
And, and then we do the same thing with a different car, but instead of using duct, duct tape, we use this fiber, fiber fix repair tape. Then we chuck the car off the cliff and it rolls down the, the mountain and the roll cage stays intact and it protects the car and it lands at the bottom of the hill and it's still totally, and totally intact. And yeah. doing all of that process was just like, I was a kid in a candy That's store. So it cool. was like, yeah, it was like a <laughs> dream come true. I, I still joke that it's like best day in the office ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so amazing. And how many takes did that take? Like, was it just one take um, coming off the cliff? So we destroyed six cars. Wow. <laughs> so, so two were, were all about just practice, research and development, figuring out our methods, all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And then the day of shooting, we had two duct tape cars and two fiber fix cars. And, um, and so we, we actually got two takes for duct tape and two takes for fiber fix uh, so that we got, you know, plenty of coverage and plenty of ang angles. I think we had something like 12 different cameras running on each take, um, wow. you know, from the mm -hmm. drone up in the air to, you know, GoPros, you know, on the mountainside that, you know, and GoPros in the car, you know, we had all of these, all these different, uh, different camera angles so that we could edit it all together and get great coverage. That's, uh, that's a pretty amazing day at the office. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Sure. So, uh, Benton, what do you think makes uh, video, your videos so viral? You know, believe it or not, we've only had a couple of our videos that actually are viral. Um, now, with that said, I have to explain all of our videos have a viral element to them. But when I say mm -hmm. only a couple of them were actually viral, what I mean by that is you just put it out there and it just spreads like a virus. It just spreads like, like wildfire. Um, whereas the vast majority of, of our campaigns don't just spread by themselves. They don't just spread like, like a virus. Instead, you have to put a distribution strategy behind the campaign to make it go. Mm. And, and so every single one of our campaigns is designed to work without being viral. And, and basically what that means is if we put $100 into ad spend to drive people to see our campaigns, then the expectation is that we're going to get $150 back in revenue or sometimes $200 back in revenue or whatever the, the number is, depending on the company and the business model. But what that does is it allows us to take that money that's coming back in and we can recycle it back into more ad spend. And we create this flywheel or this engine that you can keep pumping. And so instead of just putting a video out there that goes viral for a week and you get a couple million views and then it dies and it's done and it's over, instead you have a campaign right. that lasts for weeks, months, years even. Mm. And, and you can drive tens or many times even hundreds of millions of views to see the campaign. Whereas if you had just left it to, you know, just quote unquote virality, you might get, you know, if you're lucky, you might get a few million views. Like, I like to use the example like Squatty Potty. That was one of our most viral campaigns that we've ever done. You know, one of the most viral right, campaigns yeah. ever probably. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And, and had we just put it out there and left it, it probably would have got like, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 million views all by itself. But because we had a, a distribution strategy behind it, you know, it's well north of, 
boy, I, I don't know what the latest count is, but when you look at all the different variations of it between Facebook and YouTube and everything, uh, it's probably pushing 300 million views or something like that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Benton, what do you mean by all your videos have a viral element? G great question. So when you buy those ads, so let's say you buy $100 worth of ads to drive people to, mm -hmm. to see your campaign. Let's imagine mm -hmm. that 10% of those people then go, oh, wow, I like this. I'm going to share it. And so 10% of those people share. Now, what just mm -hmm. happened is you got, you paid for $100 worth of visibility, but you got $110. And so it was essentially as if your, you, your ads are on sale. And so if, you're, if your competitors don't have that same viral component to the campaign, that same shareability, mm -hmm. if you will, yeah. then you're always going to be in a, at an advantage over them because your, your ad dollars are going to take your campaign further than theirs because you get that built-in free shareability that, that comes with it. Mm, gotcha. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Do you think it's the humor element that's, that makes it so viral? That's a, that's a huge part of it. I think of all the things that are shareable on the internet, you, you know, you can think through the types of things that get shared in your, you know, on your Facebook feed or whatever. Sometimes it can be fear-based things. You know, sometimes you see, Oh, so-and-so, you know, this kidnapping statistic or whatever, and right. people kind of share it around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it can be fear-based stuff. It can be sentimental stuff. You know, sometimes you'll find the, the feel good stuff of, you know, check out this video of someone doing something nice for someone else. Uh, other times it can be, uh, let's see, controversy. You know, some, sometimes there will be something mm. controversial going on and so people will, mm -hmm. will share it. Um, so all of those things can be shareable, but I don't think any of them are as shareable as humor. And really? Mm. Yeah, like if, if you mm -hmm. think about it, when you share something in your feed, you don't want to share something that is going to be a drag on anyone. Like you don't want to be that right. guy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so before you share something fear-based, you kind of, you're pretty hesitant. You think about that, like, Oh, do I really, you know, do I want to be that guy sharing this? Same thing with the controversy. You know, you're like, okay, half of my friends might totally enjoy this, but the other half are probably going to be totally bugged by this. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so it makes mm -hmm. you a little bit more hesitant. Whereas the humor is just like, you know, everybody wants to smile. Everybody wants to laugh. And so, you're much less hesitant to share that in, in your feed because you're being additive to, you know, to your friends, you're providing them value, you're providing them enjoyment. And, and so that's why, you know, humor is a tool that we use a lot of because it really does make content very shareable. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> so Benson, uh, what kind of projects are you working on right now? That's most exciting to you. Mm, let's see what's going on right now. So, well, one, one cool thing that, that we're in the middle of, we're, we're raising our own venture capital fund, uh, which is cool mm. because mm -hmm. what it does, it allows us to make an investment into our client companies before we, before we do campaigns for them. And so this can be very, very helpful both for our clients because sometimes as we drive massive growth for our clients, it creates struggles and problems for them where, you know, sometimes they need 
you know, millions of dollars worth of inventory just to be able to fulfill all the demand that, uh, that the campaigns drive. And so by having access to some venture capital to help with that, um, it can be a big help for our clients. And then it's also really cool because it kind of aligns us with our clients at a more partner-esque level, right? It, it allows us to, to buy into their companies and to take a stake in their company mm. um, so that, you know, so that we're genuine partners with them as, as we drive that growth. And, and then, of course, it's really exciting for us because as we, we help these companies succeed, we get to be part of, you know, that part of that success and part of that upside. So it, it's a, it's a win-win for everyone. Gotcha. Okay. Benton, do you have a vision for like a five to 10 year vision for Harmon Brothers? Yeah, believe it or not. Um, you know, our, our, our mission, our vision, our why, as we like to call it is to right. share better stories. Mm-hmm. And, and what we mean by that, when we say share better stories, we mean we want to help our clients share better stories than they've ever shared. We want to share better stories than, than we've ever shared. And, and we want to share stories that make the world a better place. And, and so as we think about that, why that, that mission, advertising is just one way to, to share better stories, but it's not the only way. Um, mm-hmm. we're actually really excited, um, about the prospect of taking our storytelling capabilities and our, our entertainment capabilities into the world of television and, and movies. Um, you know, we, oh, we've great. got, we've mm-hmm. got a lot of work and a lot of practice to do to, uh, to, to get to that point, but it's not unprecedented. You know, there's Pixar started out with ads, um, before, before movies disney started out in ads before movies oh wow and uh and yeah actually many uh many of the famous um hollywood filmmakers actually started in ads um in fact ridley scott made the the famous 1984 apple commercial Mm. and um Mm -hmm. and so you know when, when you talk longer term vision that's where that's where a lot of our aspirations lie is we we want to take the skills that, that we're developing and our ability to, to share stories that, that make the world a better place and to share stories that really, really resonate with people and, and entertain them and, and excite them. Yeah, we wanna, we wanna take that into TV and, and movies. 